This is the song that got me through, and I'm your co-host, Daniel Maharjan. This week, we spoke to our guest about mental health, seeing yourself in an artist, and why the populations of scientific studies also need to have a voice. We did this all while talking about how Demi Lovato's skyscraper played a part in the last decade of our guest's life. One warning, we know that some of the audio contains meows and the sound of a cat pawing for treats, but in the words of the ethereal Garfield, love me, feed me, never leave me. If you want to tell us about a song that means the world to you, or you think that you have a better Garfield reference, submit the form on our Instagram page, or email us, the song that got me through at gmail.com. Now, enjoy the show. Hey, Sarah, how's it going? Hey, Neil, going good. Week, uh, whatever it is, 1200 in quarantine. Yeah, I, my wife's been telling me that my hair looks like a massive helmet on my head, so I, I think... I would say things are going exceptionally well over here. I'm surprised you haven't tried to do anything with it yourself yet. I feel like a lot of people are getting to that point where they're just taking scissors and just going for it. You know, I I have this very, very strong connection with my barber named Denny. Um, He uh, does not really understand a word I say, and I don't understand a word that he says. And I, every time I go in there, it's a total crapshoot. And I, have such a strong relationship with this man who does not know my name that I cannot have anyone else touch my hair. That is such loyalty. I'm proud of you. Yes, yes. Ultra loyalty here. <laughs> so that, that's pretty much what life has come to. Um, so our guest this week. <laughs> what uh, a segue. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm getting worse with those segues, but that's all right. So uh, who is our, uh, who's our guest this week? My name is Andy. I am currently in Seattle. I'm doing my MSW at UW. I'm also um, just like someone who's into art. Uh, that's pretty much it, art and social work. All right, perfect. And what is the song that we will be talking about this week? Skyscraper by Demi Lovato. All right. Well, uh, I did a lot of research on Demi Lovato. We were talking about this before. I learned about a thing called Camp Rock. I learned about the Jonas Brothers. And I feel like I am, I feel like I've really made it into the 21st century with my pop culture knowledge at this point. That's my teenager years, like Camp Rock. I went to their concert. So yeah. Oh my God. I'm so (laughs) excited for this. All right, let's uh, let's give the song a listen, and then uh, we'll we'll dive into your story. You can take everything I have. You can break everything I am, like I'm made of glass, like I'm made of paper. Go on and try to tear me down. I will be right. I'm actually really excited to hear why this song is kind of resonates with you. I remember this song and the first time I heard it, I remember it like became one of those songs that I played over and over again because I just really loved it. Um, And then I just today looked at the lyrics again to sort of refresh my memory and then realized how old it was. And I like didn't realize that it's been like almost 
10 years or something since she released it. So um, anyways, that's my background with this song. So I'm interested to hear uh, what the story is here. Yeah. So it's kind of um, an intense story. I should preface. Okay. Um, So we need to backtrack like a year before this song was released uh, to sort of understand why it really resonated with me. So um, it was released in 2011. So in 2010, I was an 18-year-old fresh out of high school, and I was going to college at the University of Arizona. My uh, first class was 800 students, and that was the size of my school that I went to, like, pre-K through 12th grade. Uh, So it was an adjustment. I was in a new city, uh, didn't have, you know, friends that I had spent the last eight years with. And I was going through mental health issues. So I was a psych major and I had a feeling I knew what it was. And I didn't seek help because cultural stigma in Latinx communities, I'm Mexican. And I didn't really know where to go. And I felt so ashamed. Uh, So I was eventually years after the song was released, diagnosed with schizoaffective bipolar type, which means I experienced some paranoia, some psychosis, and like some mania. So when during the like year before the song was released, I was depressed. I had manic episodes and I was extremely paranoid. And I didn't really understand myself. And So we have, you know, fall semester, I somehow make it through that spring semester, I was manic. And then Demi Lovato gets hospitalized for bipolar disorder and a few other things. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, this is weird that somebody else is experiencing this. And because I knew other people experienced bipolar, but I didn't know anybody. And even though I didn't know Demi, um, you know, I listened to her camp rock. So it was, it was uh, interesting to have somebody else that I can say, okay, that person with a name went through this. And then after spring semester, you know, things got a little bit better. I was at home, you know, I was taking classes online and the song gets released and, you know, she released it for her own reasons. But for me, it became sort of like a giant fuck you to the year that it'd gone through, you know, with mental illness. So it, I would just get emotional. And I mean, I listened to it when um, Stephanie told me about this podcast. I was like, okay, I know the song. And I listened to it and I just like burst into tears, just sort of um, remembering those years and how it felt to sort of have um, a song that expressed what I was feeling. And I, yeah, that's pretty much the story of, you know, Skyscraper. I think that's incredible that the emotions you feel from that song are still so much alive and there when you listen to it. That's pretty incredible. I I, I cry a lot, so it doesn't really surprise me. Um, Like some people respond with like anger and stuff. I'm just like happy, cry, angry, cry. (laughs) Sad cry. So that part didn't really shock me. Um, I cry when my cat ignores me, so it's fine. (laughs) Well, I guess uh, 
One question that I have right off the bat is you mentioned um, kind of at the beginning of your story that you didn't really know yourself a little bit. So as you started to understand the feelings, have more context behind what you were feeling, did that bring any sense of comfort to you? Years later, um, not at the time. Uh, I, even though I was a psych major and I was like in abnormal psych um, and like intro to psych and stuff, I knew that, you know, there's a biological basis behind this, but I didn't really attribute that to myself. Um, for me, it was sort of like, a, this is a personal failing. It's so much shame and so much stigma. Um, so I didn't really understand myself until later on when I got into mental health treatment and um, then got stabilized and got better. And then I was like, okay, I can understand myself. And I should also mention uh, the reason I'm in my MSW is uh, because I want to study schizophrenia and schizoaffective disorders, uh, psychosis in general. So not only do I, you know, understand myself better, I kind of understand myself in a more academic standpoint. And I want to, you know, understand myself even more. Do you find that you can accurately under understand yourself as you as you kind of begin to study this more? Or do you feel that because you are trying to think about yourself that you cannot actually accurately like diagnose or accurate accurately understand even with uh further education you know it's a little bit of both because a lot of what i read in research is not informed by researchers who have lived experience so there's what we learn you know in academia and there's what we the person who has that lived experience knows so some of that has been through therapy. Some of that has been through uh, learning, but learning from it from an academic standpoint, it helps me sort of detach myself in a in a way. If that makes sense. No that that is that that does make sense. And the point that you you make about um, the people who are writing about it don't have lived experience is actually something that I've heard from a number of people who are going through like uh, social work and, and public health programs is that the people who have written, literally written the books have very little lived experience with what they are talking about. They've only ever looked at it from an academic perspective. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of why I'm like doing what I'm doing is so that I can be one of those scientists with a lived experience. Uh, so I'm, I'm all for like it. So I was originally going for clinical psychology and, um, they have this thing that research is not me search. <laughs> and I'm just like, no, let it be me search. <laughs> like I want to, you know, research myself. And cause I think, you know, I think lived experiences definitely inform a lot. And, um, it's a shame that we don't have that many voices. <laughs> No, I I think that 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 makes that makes a ton of sense. And just to just to dig on this a little yeah. more, how do you how do you think having that additional perspective of the lived experience would change the way that you research? And we are just 
so wildly off uh, from a music podcast here, but like I, I just think that that is super, super interesting. Like, how, how would that impact your research by having that personal experience? You know, it impacts it in a positive and in a negative way, um, because it does hinder my learning in a sense, like my concentration, total like trash sometimes, and you know. Um, I got tested for ADHD and my doctor was like, no, pretty sure it's your psychosis that's doing that. So I was like, yay, I love this. Um, so it does hinder, a, it does hinder it a little bit, but in the sense that it's positive, it shows me that a lot of the things that I think of um, and a lot of the questions that I wonder and a lot of the things I experience, I you know, go to Google Scholar PubMed or like psych info and stuff. And I can't find an answer for it. And a lot of the things that my friends experience, I also can't find in the literature. And there's no doubt about it. We're, we have psychosis. Like we are one of those participants, you know, patients that people report about yet our experiences aren't there. Uh, so it's informing the type of research that I do. When I first became interested in research, I was very much like clinical. These are participants, you know, this is an intervention, you know, not a treatment in people. And it, I, you know, jumped ship from clinical psychology to social work where I was, where I'm like out to my cohort in, in a sense. Well, in many ways, I'm also a trans guy, <laughs> so I'm out to my cohort in that sense, but I'm out to my cohort in that they know what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. And it's informed the type of career because I am in social work because of their emphasis on qualitative research um, because and on patient-led research. You know, I think... In the U.S., at least, a long time ago, I wanted to do qualitative interviews with folks with uh, psychosis because I, you know, about their symptoms and stuff. Because my experiences, even though I'm someone with psychosis, like, they're not the only experiences. Like, I have a friend with the exact list of diagnoses that I do, that I have, and our experiences are completely, like, different, like, wildly different in how we experience things. Like, we have some shared experiences, but still quite different. So it's informed that because, yeah, I want to do patient-led research and I want to learn, you know, about myself and how my own experiences as a, you know, person of color growing up in like a, you know, lower economic community, how that informs like social justice. Um, so it's, yeah, it's impacted the type of career I want to have. So Stephanie knows that I'm an artist. So like I I sometimes envision these like days where I'm just like painting all day and covered in paint. And then I'm like, no, you have to go do schoolwork. <laughs> I, you know, I, the the idea of identity and talking a little bit about identity is actually something that for for me came up as I was thinking about you and the song and you kind of mentioned it earlier on, but how, like, what is the importance of having artists um, who have similar lived experiences as you? In a sense, uh, I'm not sure if you say like, look like you in a sense of like, um, 
race, but for me, Demi Lovato is Mexican. Um, so, and at the time I was identifying as female. So I saw this, uh, eight, and I'm eight months older than her. So I saw someone my age with, who was also Mexican, um, going through bipolar. And I, I saw someone who was like me. Um, I read all these books. There's a lot of, you know, some books out, not a lot, but a few books out about people with, you know, bipolar disorder, depression, schizophrenia, and they're all, you know, white folks. And I'm like, I can't identify in that. So having an artist, specifically an artist of color, like a person of color, was so incredibly impactful to me because, you know, in Latinx communities and communities of color and, you know, immigrant communities, mental health is such a stigmatized thing. Like it's already stigmatized in general, but like if you get into those pockets, into those families, it's like even more stigmatized. So just, I, I have heard from a few people like, oh, depression is just the white person's disease. So it was, it was amazing that, you know, someone who looked like me and someone who experienced the things uh, felt this and having that representation of it being a famous person. um, It just made it seem more slightly relatable because no, like I said, I was able to put a name to someone going through that. It wasn't some case in a, in a textbook, you know, where their name is like Harley and they're this completely made up person going through all these DSM things, it was sort of like, this is a real person. Oh my God, a real person like me. And it was, it was just so incredibly impactful. Yeah. And I'm sure so many people, I mean, she has millions and millions of fans feel that way towards her, especially about that song. Um, Mm -hmm. How is your art, because you've mentioned that that's something of an outlet for you as well. How does that impact? um your life you know it's uh i've i've been painting and drawing since i was like three or four um so and i'm 28 so it's it's 25 years of this and it's it's definitely it gives me like life um and the more i at first it was just a way to like get my frustration out because I used to do these super detailed graphite drawings. So it was like getting my frustration out, getting my energy out and getting lost in the details. And then it became about letting my emotions out. And I started doing watercolor and then it became about sort of knowing, knowing my own talents and like getting past my insecurities about like mixing color. So I started doing acrylics and then is as I was applying to grad school in 2018, I started to really think about how I can incorporate art into my career and not in a art therapy way, in a how can my career influence my art and my art influence my career. So Now I've taken a more social justice, mental health approach. Um, And so it's a combination of like what 
message do I want to get out to people? What do I want this to do for myself to aid my own mental health and like well-being? So it's just like complex, just like mind map of things. Right. Does this timeline that you talk about of how your approach to your art has evolved, does it kind of map to this same timeline of how you're starting to better understand these emotions and who you are and kind of as your career has evolved? Oh, hands down. Yeah. Um, it's, it's definitely followed this like parallel, like linear progression. And uh, it's, it's interesting to see because I didn't realize that until like a month ago or so when I started taking pictures of all of my pieces that I have, which is like a hundred over like the last few years, like the last decade or so. Um, and I started taking pictures and I was like, oh, yeah, I can see a pattern. Yeah, that is that is really interesting. And the, the ability to kind of see how how that has evolved over time as well is, is pretty cool. I think with art, a lot of people just kind of start doing it for a short period of time. So they don't necessarily see see the progression and they. Uh, a lot of the art that they make is just very specific to that one point in their life in which they they made they were actually like actively made art so it's pretty cool that you you've had all of that time to actually be able to like see where you where you have gone uh with with your art so that that is pretty cool and um i i think also uh thinking about where demi lovato is right now it's also been like pretty pretty incredible to see how her how her career has kind of like spanned over time and i never you know i didn't i never really thought of her as more than just kind of another one of the those kind of pop artists that was around in in the 2010s but as i look back on her career and as i look to what a lot of people say about her now and just the general longevity of her career um I, I am amazed how she has continued to like have these have these rebirths and continue to have such a successful career over over time. Yeah. Yeah, you, you mentioned the rebirths. I think the rebirths are so important um in just personal life and just like as an artist, like your artist development, you should always kind of go through a rebirth, I think. As we've kind of we've talked about a couple of different topics on here, like artists as a represent, like artists who represent you, um, you reflecting yourself in both your art and your career. Um, what is kind of the the one most important thing from this conversation that you would want everyone to remember? Seek mental health treatment if you need it. That's the only reason that my life took the progression that it did is it sort of set me on a better path. Uh, even if it's mental health apps, <laughs> um, there's a bunch of free apps 
and shameless plug for at most year clear, by the way, because we literally just posted one today. Uh, but yeah, seek mental health treatment. It'll literally, it's the number one best decision I've ever made in my life. And I've made some pretty good decisions like over time, but it's the best decision I ever made. And that's what I think I would like um, people to take away from this. Perfect. Perfect. That is so incredibly true. Well, Andy, thank you. And well, I guess I should say Andy and Booger. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much for uh, taking a little bit of time to to tell us your story. Cool. Awesome. Yeah, Booger will be waiting for treats. Uh, <laughs> he says that you need to send him some treats, by the way. And he's also charging you like $10,000 for that outro. <laughs> Perfect. I'll uh, I'll uh, I'll send. I'll make sure to wire it to him. If you could just give me the his uh, bank account information, that would be phenomenal. <laughs> yeah. Oh yes. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Uh, Thank you so much. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And everyone, have a great week. You too. Bye. Bye. This episode was edited by me, Anil Maharjan. My co-host is Sarah Harrison. Additional editing and mixing was done by Chris Maffey at Multitrack Minds. You can check out their full line of services at multitrackminds.com. Special thanks this week to Andy for telling their story. If you're interested in learning about the mental health apps that Andy mentioned, we've linked them in our show notes. As always, if you're interested in telling your story, submit the form on our Instagram page or email us, thesongthatgotmethrough at gmail.com. Until next time, don't lose touch. Hold on, my, my cat has tape stuck on him. I'll be back. Booger, booger, booger. Hey, buddy, let me get that off of you.